Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ravina Johnson, Marcus May, and Buster Screen all out in the secondary. And they're looking for the big one. And it is a touchdown to who else but Adam Thielen. And now back to Latavius Murray sniffing the end zone, and he will get there. 38-yard touchdown run for Latavius Murray. Second touchdown he had, uh, he was, they were running a, a blitz coming off the edge, and, you know, you slant guys down inside. And if you get one of them cut off, you can get up to linebacker, get to the second level. And, uh, but I thought he ran hard today. Um, you know, there was a couple runs we had holding on that got called back at the end. Um, you know, Latavius is a good back. Football. Yes. Hello, Matthew Collar. A lot of football today for Mike Zimmer. Talked about young defensive backs learning to read their keys. Got some second level on that. Talked about why he's a couple different times over the last two weeks played three down linemen. Tackling in space came up. Whew. Wow. How oh. much tackling space was there? Oh, there was lots of tackling in space. I mean, he was talking about And that's why... tough because there's no gravity, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I watched that movie with Sandra Bullock where yeah. she's like in space. and Gravity, right? Yeah, it, It's called gravity, right? Yeah. Was she playing and, football today? Um, no, okay. but there was adversity. There's like a lot of adversity, yeah. actually. Is it is it correct to say that there's no gravity or that it's zero gravity? Right, it's a scale of gravity, and there would be less gravity or zero gravity. So having, thus, um, it'd be harder to tackle in space. Having never been to space myself, it's uh, it's very hard to say how you would tackle in no gravity or zero gravity. But Sandra Bullock, every time that she bumped into something, she just kept spinning around. Yeah, so it's crazy. That doesn't happen. In a little bit like those Jets wide receivers in oh, the second half good yesterday. One. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so okay, since we're talking about reading keys. So Harrison Smith had a couple great plays. He had the interception, which was less of a great play by him, but just the you know the ball bounced into his chest. But he had the one play, and the broadcasters, Chris Spielman pointed this out, where he clearly saw something at the line of scrimmage, and he starts backpedaling 15 yards to play center field before the ball is snapped. And was it Robbie Anderson who ran the route? I can't remember. And and he and and it was kind of a fifty fifty ball, but Harrison Smith was just waiting five ten yards behind the play the entire time. I love stuff like that. Where okay, clearly something was caught on film. He sees it at the line of scrimmage, knows that this is not a run, this is not an underneath route. I'm going to go back and play center field on this, and he makes a great play. Or it could be by design too, because what you see a lot is the Vikings will rotate their safety, so it'll look like it's a single high with one safety, but then he comes down and Harrison Smith drops back into that spot. That's what a lot of the success for the Vikings has gone with over the last couple of weeks is 
finding ways to make the quarterback think he's going to have something in one area and then he doesn't. And if you get that slight hesitation and you have any sort of pass rush, it's just a nightmare. And you've seen Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold, who are two rookie quarterbacks, and and Mike Zimmer acknowledged this is going to be a lot harder against Drew Brees. But with those two rookie quarterbacks, when they see that, that's something that college defenses are not running at any sort of level like an NFL defense is. And the, the zone blitzing thing is something that Zimmer has done for a long time, that Wade Phillips loves, that Todd Bowles does a lot of. But he's even made it, I think, more intricate over these last couple of weeks. So almost every single third down is a different look. And the interception by Anthony Harris against Arizona was a great example where when Josh Rosen did his read of the defense, Harrison Smith was on his right at the line of scrimmage. And by the time he had taken the snap and taken his three-step drop, Harrison Smith was in deep center field, and Anthony Harris was on his left down toward the line of scrimmage, where he didn't expect him to be, and that's how he ended up throwing the interception because he never saw him there. And that sort of deception has been a big part, I think, of their success over the last couple weeks. The Smith play, two, and I think we saw almost the exact same breakup against, was it against the Cardinals? The exact same type of play. It's really genius because that's a play where if you try and break that pass up in progress, they're going to throw a flag lots of times. But if you wait for the guy, not to catch it, but to start to go up for it, and you go go up too, Mm -hmm. and Smith is strong enough to basically take the ball and take it out of, of the guy's hands, it's a really, really smart play. Because once he goes and gets it, you control as the defender... The you basically can control the situation where if you go up and take his body first, it's going to be a flag. So I've been really impressed by the fact that he almost allows you to think you're going to catch the ball and at the last second strips you of the ball. And not allowing the Jets to hit on any of those deep balls was one of the biggest keys to winning yesterday because we knew that they weren't going to be able to just like dink and dunk this Vikings team. That doesn't happen very often that we see that. But Darnold has a heck of an arm, and he can wing it down the field. And if you allow him to get a couple of guys open, Robbie Anderson is a great deep ball wide receiver, that that could have been disastrous. And I think that that's what teams are looking to do against this Vikings defense since they know even without Linval Joseph, it is tough to run against them. And Bilal Powell getting hurt early in the game was a problem. And because Isaiah Crowell was already hurt too, and their offensive line isn't very good. So they weren't able to run. That throws off a lot of things. But to have those big plays made down the field, uh, they had a bunch of pass breakups yesterday. Trey Wayne's had a few of them. Uh, the secondary played extremely well against the Jets. And then Sam Darnold just got no help whatsoever. I, I mean, from anyone. Like, does anyone else want to play this football game aside from Sam Darnold? No, the answer was no. It was incredible how much they didn't. Were they cold? Was it cold in New York? I know that guy from the New York Post. It was windy. Wrote that in the 50s it's cold. Yeah. It was windy, that's what I heard. You saw that the Kirk Cousins column where he's ripping Cousins, and the guy mentions that revenge is served cold, and it's going to be 52 degrees. Like, 52, (laughs) cold. So maybe everyone on their team was cold, and that was the issue. But you had... Drop passes all over the place, pass protections breaking down. I mean, he didn't get any help. No no running game to speak of. And the Vikings just continually took advantage in that game, even though their offense was not very good at all. Yeah, I feel like that that was a game where the the wind obviously impacted kicking and and punting, and they kept sh- they kept showing over and over the Dan Bailey pregame <laughs> excursions. Yes. He even came out there for a while before the second half, if mm-hmm. I recall right. But it's also a game that probably impacted throwing the ball a lot more than you would see 
I mean, you, you don't see those guys out there with, like a pass isn't going to move to the right 30 yards like a kick is. But I have a feeling that some of those little out routes that are 15, 18 yards, I remember a couple where Stefan Diggs breaks out and the ball is underthrown. Is that underthrown because of inaccuracy or is it underthrown because into biting 30-mile-an-hour wind gust? That's got to be really hard as a quarterback to figure out, okay, it's it's almost like golfing. All right, am I supposed, like, what do I need to do on this? What, mm-hmm. what club do I need to take out of the bag? How much do I need to put on this pass? It's hard to say because Kirk Cousins would not say after the game that that impacted any of his throws, and he said that you know he just didn't make some of them. And then when he dropped the touchdown to Adam Thielen, I mean, that one didn't seem to be impacted at all. It was a perfect pass. Couldn't have made it any better than he did. Uh, I think that more than anything, this offense over the last couple of weeks has gotten some of the run game back, but the passing game has been choppy. I, I, it might be the best way to describe it, where it's a lot of short passes and a couple occasional bombs. They hit on them. The Aldrich Robinson one was weird because that one could have been picked off. It went through the guy's hands and right into Aldrich Robinson for a touchdown. The Thielen one is is brilliant. The rest of the day is pretty poor for Kirk Cousins, and I would say that for both games, for Arizona and for the New York Jets. And when you're now looking at this season at large, it's kind of hard to, to figure out how good this Vikings offense is because... Thielen is having an incredible season, has a chance for historic numbers. Cousins is putting up a lot of yards, but they're not scoring on a very high percentage of their drives, which is concerning. Their third downs are really poor. Last year, they're number one in the NFL on third down. This year, they're 22nd. They're red zone. They're 19th in the league in red zone touchdown percentage. So there are some things to look at with this offense where you say... Uh, they're going to have to improve as we go along here, or they're not going to be able to beat the best teams. Play calling a factor, too? Well, I... Because that's changed, definitely changed. Not the same as it was last year, boys. So, I I don't want to call it quite rumblings, but a few people Mm. have said to me that Pat Shermer was really special last year. Like, some of the things that he dialed up, that he just was the puppet master pulling the strings. And I think John D. Filippo has done a decent job, but even when the head coach insinuates he was a little annoyed with some of the play calling at the end of the game, in his press conference yesterday, Zimmer said, I don't know why we're not running on second down ever. And especially when you're up a bunch of points in games the last two weeks, if you're throwing on second down, you're risking stopping the clock, which they've done. And last year, if they got ahead in the game, it was just over. See, I actually had so I I had a couple. I'm not a big nitpick play calling guy, just because I don't want to. I'm not sitting there breaking down film. But the thought I had was, okay, you've got a dude who's un, uncoverable, unguardable as a wide receiver right now, and he just and he's and at the time I think he had 84 yards on seven catches or something. And his last catch came late in the third or early in the fourth, Adam Thielen. I'm thinking, all right, the Jets just score a touchdown. You can put him away if you just go down the field one more time and get up by 17 or even kick a field goal. And Adam Thielen was nowhere to be found for two or three drives. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, just throw Adam Thielen the ball on a third down or even a second down, move the chains, clock goes down underneath four minutes, and the game is over. And finally they did that, and the game was over. Okay, so a couple things off of this. Uh, NFL Next Gen has a stat called aggressiveness that points to how often a quarterback throws into tight coverage where the corner is very tight on the wide receiver. Kirk Cousins right now dead last in that category. So very rarely is he just throwing it up to Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs when they're covered and letting them make a play, which we saw Case Keenum actually do quite a bit Mm -hmm. last year. 
that he was throwing anything their way. Oh, they got men on them, double double team. I don't care. They're going to come down with it. And so Cousins could probably stand to do a little more of that. The other thing, too, and Sage Rosenfels and I talked about this on the Purple Podcast, is there a screen game? Like, does this team have a screen game that goes to running backs there, at all? Yes, it's called Delvin Cook. Well, there's a swing pass game, but it's always <laughs> like behind the line of scrimmage <laughs> yeah, in short yeah. and fumbles. But, so but, like, I think Delvin Cook is the key to, to what you're talking about. I, you know, I... Maybe, but there isn't even like screen passes. Last year, it was to Jarek McKinnon all the time. And Latavius Murray is not like the perfect guy for this. He's not Delvin Cook, yep. but he's also pretty good at catching the ball historically. And last year, you remember Cincinnati, they ran a screen to Latavius Murray where Elfline got out in space and crushed a dude and they went for 30 yards. We haven't seen those traditional kind of running back screens that force the defense to kind of find their I man. Just, look I'm just a saying bunch of people. I think Delvin Cook's potential presence changes the, the entire complexion of what we would see from the pass game starting with that short pass game. It's I mean yeah, I, really I think do. I think that he does because he's a, another weapon yep. and they can line him up at receiver and they've run a number of very effective receiver screens where they'll have Kyle Rudolph block and they'll throw a screen pass to Diggs or, or one to Thielen last week, but with Rock Thomas and Mike Boone I think you can run those screen passes. Both of them are pass-catching, quicker, smaller backs like Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon was a third-round pick. I mean, it's not like he was a Delvin Cook-level caliber prospect or anything. And you just haven't seen any of it. And I look at those as one of the biggest causes for Case Keenum's success last year was these clever little screens that they just haven't used. And I don't know if they're coming or not. Uh, You heard Kyler mention that you can find him and Sage Rosenfels today and also on Wednesdays breaking down the Vikings on Wednesdays, going through their journeyman quarterback of the week, 1500ESPN.com, Purple Podcast, all kinds of written content, too. So I so I disagreed with Judd and Manny a little bit on Kirk Cousins. I have a feeling that Kyler and I are going to disagree, too. I, I, don't, I want to bring something up about Kirk Cousins when we come back and, and put something into context. But Judd Zolgad, uh, we got Josh on the line. We, we do. First time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold. First drive and Cousins who's done a great job of taking those risks down the field and I'm sure play calling factors in there. And Adam Thielen hauls it in. And then the next two drives, it's like they've never practiced before. (laughs) And Kirk Cousins, instead of just going once, going twice, eat it, take a sack, throw it away, almost runs himself into a safety. I'm I'm not condoning that action on a football field. It was horrendous. It was stupid. Don't do it. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do that. Just don't do it. Russell Wilson does sometimes, but you know he's also super mobile. So, but here's my question: I thought Judd and Manny were too hard on Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins has given you everything you could have asked for the first seven games. He's going to give you some head scratching throws, some plays that make you think, "Boy, if that happened later in the season, that could be a problem." But he's not Tom Brady, and he's not Aaron Rodgers. So, how do we balance the fact that he's not perfect? He wasn't signed to be perfect. Also balancing the fact that some of the best quarterbacks in the league are making mistakes. Tom Brady has seven interceptions. Now, I've seen a couple of them. They've been like bounce-off receiver type things, and I get that. Uh, Jared Goff has been amazing. He also has five picks. Pat Mahomes has been crazy, generationally great. That guy's got five picks. So you're not you're not going to get perfection. How do we How do we balance... Critiquing Kirk Cousins in a fair way, but also understanding that he wasn't signed to be perfect. One of the 
things about Kirk Cousins that makes him hard to debate is you can't like LeBron eyes him as far as a conversation goes. You can't be like, I think he's the best. And then you yell, no way, man, Jordan is the best. And you're like, no way, man, it's LeBron. Like you can't do this with Cousins because he's very complicated. Right? There are so many different sort of moving parts with Kirk Cousins. And, and this is why Washington decided not to buy into him as far as being the highest paid quarterback in the league or whatever it would have been that they would have had to give him yeah. to keep him. Their, their guy, by the way, ran out of bounds before the sticks with like a minute and five <laughs> left yesterday and gave Dallas a chance to almost win that game. Well, and Alex Smith. It's not the boneheaded plays necessarily from him, but Alex Smith is in the same category of Kirk Cousins, where he's a very complicated type of quarterback. And you see also with what Pat Mahomes is doing, the weapons that Alex Smith was working with last year when he led the league in passer rating. And Smith and Cousins have this in common that the supporting cast, the play caller, all these things, they make a huge difference for how much success the guy is going to have. But he has shortcomings in his game. So you can look at him and say, like this guy makes throws. I mean, he really makes some spectacular throws. The the touchdown to Thielen, there's probably 15 to 20 throws we could talk about this year that Case Keenum doesn't make and a lot of NFL quarterbacks don't make. But there has always been a few shortcomings in his game that we've seen. I think we've had the full Kirk Cousins experience. Throwing a ball in the dirt backwards is a classic sort of Kirk Cousins thing to do. I watched back the full 2017 season and some of 2016 and 15 just kind of here and there. And what I saw from him is some of the strangest decisions <laughs> ever. I it mean, wasn't like that throw wasn't like, oh my God, I accidentally short armed this throw. It was, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to make the smart move here and throw this ball into the ground. It's like, no, dude, no, no. And, and there, so there's <laughs> one time where he forgets to spike the ball. He's supposed to spike it. He forgets. He just stands there. <laughs> yep. And the defense looks at him like, wait, did you do, wait a minute. So he's what? just holding the ball. He's just holding the ball. And then he kneels it. And they're like, wait, did he just, what is he doing? Like that happened in a game. And there was another one last year, week one against <laughs> Philadelphia. They get into the red zone. He takes the snap. Somebody kind of runs free. And he just like, somebody get it, throws it up. It's a pick in the red zone. Like, this, these are some of the things that he does. I've seen Brady do all those things. Just, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but he about. completes and, the passes. And, and, and so <laughs> anybody who ever plays the position will have these happen every once in a while. Now, maybe not the kneel down spike thing. Uh, or or have a delay of game when you spike the ball. The I will before. say I will say I did see Joel Stavi do that. Oh, that, against Arizona State. Arizona State. Arizona State. That's yes, right. he was supposed to spike it, and he just took a knee. He instead. got super nervous. He like he like he. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was that was amazing. Yeah. But the college thing, yeah, like that's why Judd always picks on me about the bowl games. But that's why I watch all the college yeah, bowl to games. Watch but, college, but that's expected from right. them. They're knuckleheads, right? Bring me Colorado State, right? Like just because they'll do something crazy. But uh, the other, you know, so those are the two sides of Kirk Cousins. And I, I think that he needs to have everything going his way to be great. But the other thing is, too, if he clicks as far as like gets hot, something like that, and his team is playing great and the defense is playing like this, you can win. Like you can win a Super Bowl with a guy playing that way. It's, it's not going to be easy. And a lot of things will have to bounce your way to do it, I think. But you can. And, and the, the proof is in the Eli Manning. That with Eli Manning is just like this in his prime, just baffling things that he does, yeah. but then also incredible throws. The one thing that's different is Cousins hasn't been aggressive, and I wonder if he will be. That was the one thing Kyle Shanahan mentioned this 
that if the guy's not open or that's not exactly the right read or whatever, he's probably not going to throw it. And that has, I think, played out in front of us so far this year. That's the anti-Keenum part that I think they like. The my biggest criticisms are attempting to clean up the things that are going to cost you games and don't need to happen. You're going to throw some picks. I get that. You're going to make some decisions that are questionable. I get that. Can you hold on to the football consistently? Can you know? Can you even get a semblance of a clock in your head to eat the ball and take a sack or or throw it away a split second before you're stripped? It's things like that because I guarantee you. Those are the things internally that the Vikings are watching on film now and thinking come January that has to be cleaned up. So this is not a this is not a referendum on saying he's not good. This is saying what can you fix of the things that can cost you a game between now and January that are going to save you in the playoffs. The Eli comparison, I, th- I feel like we started floating that around here last week. That is that is the comparison. You just have to live with. I'm going to use one of Judd's favorite words. I used this for hockey goalies one time. Variance. That Tom Brady, there's a there's a really really thin range of variance in his game, and Aaron Rodgers even thinner, right? It's just you're not going to get a four interception game. Has Aaron Rodgers ever thrown four picks in a game? Never. I don't think he's thrown three. There might be one game where Aaron Rodgers has thrown three interceptions in a game, which happens to the Drew Brees has thrown multiple. Drew Brees led the league in interceptions one time like five years ago. So you're going to get this super wide range of what can happen. And there's times where Kirk Cousins, for a month straight, can look like one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. And then there's times in games or for stretches where he can look like Ryan Fitzpatrick on a bad day. And so you just kind of have to hope that over the course of the season, he's going to skew a little bit more toward fringe top 10 with the potential to get top five hot at the right time. Now, where I would be concerned is not, that stuff is impossible to predict. Like, am I supposed to say, yeah, he'll get fumble or, you know, sack, strip sack for a fumble touchdown against Arizona? I have no idea. That's the Vikings, so he probably will. There's, but yeah. there's no, yeah, there's no stat. There's nothing that can help me figure that out, only to say he fumbles a lot. And there have been, you know, at least a uh, at least 10 picks every year of his career as a starter. So those will happen. The thing that would concern me, though, is when you look at the percentage of drives where the Vikings come home with points. Go back to 2015, they're seventh in the league, and they're a great team. And Teddy Bridgewater may not have put up big touchdown numbers, but they got points. They controlled the ball, they didn't make mistakes, they didn't turn the ball over, and when they were in field goal position, they took advantage. Last year, same thing for Case Keenum. They finished drives, they scored touchdowns, great in the red zone, great on third downs. They were eighth percentage of drives where they scored. This year, they're 26th. Like they're not scoring on a whole lot of times they get no. the ball. Those drives yesterday, this was this was the the thing that drove me the most crazy. Even though it was a comfortable win and a lot more positives than negatives, but when you get the ball like four times at the fifty yard line or at your own thirty eight or somewhere in that midfield range, and you're not even kicking a field, at least miss a field goal, at least miss a field goal from fifty two yards, and they'd yeah. have to they'd go three and out and they'd have to punt. So that was definitely something. But then again, you know how. Were they were they playing that game yesterday thinking, well, 20, 20 points probably wins it against Sam Darnold and a team that's looking to be conservative and a team with really no wide receivers outside of Robbie Anderson who we can just do whatever we want with? It's possible that they wanted to be a little more conservative in some of their play calling, but only John Filippo knows but that. But they don't want to stall out, which they did. I, I think the deeper part of what we're talking about right now goes to the guy calling plays. Who's in in his first year doing it since when? Since he was with the Browns Cleveland, yeah. four years ago or so, 
And and I think what we're seeing, and we've seen this in this town before, is that job is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And in the red zone, it's damn hard. And the Vikings had the luxury of a guy last year who was great. And when you're good, the fan base starts to say, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, Shermer. Of course they scored. Mm-hmm. And then you get to now, which is a guy who is getting his feet wet again doing it, and it's a very different dynamic. It is. And what last year guys said consistently about Pat Shermer was that it was a democratic process. It was quarterbacks working with receivers, working with linemen, working with running backs, working with Pat Shermer. It was everybody all in on this offense, and everyone felt comfortable expressing what they thought was going to work, what wasn't going to work. And now you have, for one, a quarterback who talks about coaching other players, which is weird, because it like separates him from the rest of the team. And he's done this on multiple occasions, and I found it to be very odd. Because Bridgewater and Keenum, and even Bradford to some extent, were very much like team guys. Like you just couldn't get them to talk about themselves if you wanted to. It was just we, 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 all team. And then you have Cousins who's saying, well, I coach guys to do things this way. And you're like, you, what, huh? Hmm. And he's, it wasn't just once in like a weird figure of speech. It's multiple times. And then you know, Filippo is a very much a ladder climber type guy. He's got a big, long explanation for every single thing in the whole world. And it does not feel like it's a conducive effort like it did last year. Now, that might change as they go along. You get a win against New Orleans. You start to get a little more of this chemistry going, and you, and you can build on that. And that's where it's, it's very hard to say. Like right now, there are some red flags. When you can't convert on third down, when you can't convert in the red zone, two for 15 on third down yesterday, and can't finish games by pounding somebody's face in, which they're going to have to do. I mean, that's the NFL. Like you look at teams, teams that run, like the, the Patriots actually run a lot. Because they get ahead, and then they just eat the clock by handing it off. And the Rams, they they do the same thing. If you can't do that, if you're not pounding people's faces in, then it makes it harder to believe that you're going to be able to carry your team with offense if you have to. Latavius Murray, by the way, after these last couple games, it was really ugly before these last couple games. But now that they've gotten it going a little bit and they've had some big runs, he's up to just under five yards of carry on the yeah. season. So that at least... The last couple weeks, it's been better. We'll see what the status of Dalvin Cook is going into the Saints game. Let's keep the football hour going here. Matthew Collar hanging out with us. From the- now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? It's <laughs> pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All right, so just a few minutes ago, you heard Phil Mackie talking about those uh, fabulous TCL TVs that are out there. Well, I'll tell you what, this Thursday, you will have an opportunity to win your own 55-inch TCL Roku TV. I will be at Tuttle's in Hopkins from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. this Thursday for the ultimate college football viewing party with Dosekis. Come enjoy an ice-cold one and register to win that new TV. More details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Here's Mike Zimmer talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever quarterback. Just happens to be on the Vikings schedule this week. Drew Alfred Breeze. I don't know if that's his middle name. What's it like preparing for Breeze? It's different than it has been the last two weeks. This guy is amazing. You know, when you talk about all the fame quarterbacks, you know, obviously he's going to be one. Uh, but he's I missed that very the first time. Cerebral, accurate. He's moving well in the pocket. 
you know, I, I was watching tape today, and I'm like, how old is this guy? I thought he was, you know, getting old, but, you know, he's not really a runner, but he scrambles, and um, usually to find guys open, and he knows where to go with the football, and he's extremely accurate. The amazing thing when you look at him, it just doesn't seem like there's a physical deterioration or any kind of breeze. Yeah, I mean, he's no. 39. It doesn't seem like he's... No, he's... <laughs> he should retire, too. <laughs> Not sav- I, it's not savage it, one bit, Collar. You, you know what it is? Yes, it's, it is. It's Zimmer being Zimmer. Yeah, you're right. Just blatantly honest, <laughs> and he's exactly right. Oh, he's, he's just faced, in, in the past two weeks, Rosen and Darnold, and now he's got to face Drew Brees. He's telling you the truth. I love when he forgets he's in front of a podium. He's well, let's, like, play, let's play this again. The first... It ain't those other two. What's it like preparing for Brees? It's different than it has been the last two weeks. Ooh. This guy... <laughs> <laughs> did you did you guys Got see him. did you see last night Zimmer on with Dion? No, oh, he's no. like super close, super close yes. to the, to the yeah. camera. But Big we were, smile on his face. We so were just, watching it. They give him a phone, and he's just on selfie mode, right? Uh, he and he's sa- staring. He, he at said, it. "Send me a longer stick." So they must give him the stick to put on the phone. Okay, but he thinks he can't hear him unless it's super close. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> such a dad. This this is a Zim. He's great with Dion. He yeah. completely oh, he lets his, his guard down. Did he coached Dion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But he's a different guy. Like his press conference answers are they're okay, but they're ordinarily, you know, I don't know, or this or that. But with Dion, he's just totally forthcoming. It's fantastic. Dion should conduct every Mike Zimmer press conference that happens. It's just like what I've talked about with Tibbs and Jimmy Butler in a way, where you have the post game press conference of everybody's asking Tibbs about, well, how how you know how did Towns do? Yeah, Cat did a nice job. He did really, did really well. Scored some buckets. Rebounding was really good. Jimmy Butler had 17 points and four steals. Yeah, Jimmy uh, he gets this little the smirk smile. on his little smile. Yeah, Jimmy, that's what he does. He's just so tough. He's just terrific for us. Yeah, he was the uh, defensive backs coach, and he had Darren Woodson and <laughs> Deion Sanders. It's a good way to start. It's a good way to start uh, moving up the ladder when you have those two guys and, and look pretty good. But you know, Zimmer is. Um, He's very up and down when it comes to the press conferences and everything else. And what I've figured out is trying to read him is pretty tough. Like some some weeks he seems extremely agitated and has nothing to say about anything. But, you know, in the past I might have said, ah, he seems kind of tight this week. I wonder if they're going to come out and just, you know, if he's been riding everybody too hard or what what's going to happen here. And... There has no never been a rhyme or reason to it. Recently, I would say there last year it was when Teddy came back where he seemed to calm down, but that also went along with them winning a bunch of games. After the Eagles game, it's been a different Zimmer, but I think that he knew, man, I can mess with these quarterbacks, with these young quarterbacks. This is this isn't going to be hard. But today he was very good. I mean, breaking down different things, why Trey Wayans has been so good in the run game and why Drew Brees is such a great competitor and and things like that and this has been one of the fun things to watch is when a Zimmer defense goes up against an elite quarterback because the the quarterbacks get them sometimes, but other times the, these elite quarterbacks will struggle yeah. because of how good he is at play calling, dialing it up, scheming against them, and him versus Breeze is just like Tyson Holyfield. I mean, it's, I mean, it's good. The most Vikings thing would be if Drew Brees went down with an injury and Teddy Bridgewater threw for a buck oh, seventy five and two touchdowns in the second half. And cousins imploded. And <laughs> that, would, that would be smile. the most Vikings thing. Zim would smile. He'd be like, "I hate my, that my defense got beat, but 
I love kind of love that it was Teddy. I love Teddy. <laughs> kind of love Teddy, that it was come Teddy. Home. We'd have to change our our dysfunctional sports moments bracket if that happened. If Teddy came in to stick it to the Vikings, you know, I was thinking about this a lot this week with Teddy Bridgewater and the role that he played even last year on this team. That he was over on the sidelines helping out. Case Keenum, whenever he could. And you see him doing it with Drew Brees. I mean, he's got the iPad. He's not just standing there with a clipboard or something. Like, he's got the iPad. He's sitting next to him. He's working with him. And in the locker room, there was a corner of the locker room where Bridgewater was, Terrence Newman, Delvin Cook, Case Keenum, all in that same sort of corner. And other guys would come in and out. And I I just think the impact that Bridgewater had on every one of his teammates was really big, and that's the type of stuff that Zimmer would see that most people wouldn't. And then you, when you start digging into it, you understand it better, that this is someone who on an individual level was making everyone around him better on a daily basis. And that's something that you don't really see with Kirk Cousins, I think. Yeah. I, I think Kirk Cousins views himself differently than Teddy Bridgewater did. Bridgewater was the type of guy who was still texting and trying to help Kyle Sloter make the team. This is Bridgewater in New York trying to help Sam Darnold get better at the same time and still giving advice to the number three quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings who he just met last year. I mean, so I understand why Zimmer felt the way he did about Bridgewater, and I think that there was a ripple effect of having him back in the locker room last year. Yeah. So here's the weird thing about Teddy to me, because he certainly could have been like this, but he, he doesn't seem like he ever was. He doesn't seem like chip on the shoulder guy. Cousins very much is and was, and, and I think through the rest of his career will be that. Mm-hmm. Teddy, for all all the adversity and things that he could have used, didn't seem like that was what made him wake up and go compete during the course of a day. But he's, I, I was going to say, Teddy hasn't really been snubbed to the degree that Kirk Cousins perceives himself to have been snubbed. Mm-hmm. But he dropped uh, in the draft a lot. And you could and you could count that 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 that's a snub. But he was still he was first round pick. He was the last pick in the first round. So Kirk Cousins third round, right? Third or fourth round? Third round. Third round, I believe. I think Teddy's just fourth, grateful fourth, to be fourth. still playing football. That's that's the vibe that yeah, I now, sense yeah. from afar. And, now you're probably right. And and I think that Teddy is such a unique cat among quarterbacks because of his background, just where he came from, single mother, and and from my, that Miami area where it's not easy. The, the Delvin Cook and he related because of that, because they came from a very similar area. And I think that Bridgewater t- takes a totally different sort of mentality to this, where as opposed to it being a slight to be drafted at the end of the first round, that was a dream come true for him that mm-hmm. he didn't look at it that way. He didn't look at it as, well, just because I got projected. And there was a video the Jets put out that was really interesting where Bridgewater went through that incident again and sort of told them the play-by-play. And he didn't exactly say it, but it was possible he could have lost his leg. He intimated that to us once. And he said that it doesn't. he's not upset about not starting in New York. Like He's not upset about being there because he still has an NFL uniform and he's still here and he's still doing exactly what he always dreamed that he could do. I think that's just a different outlook and maybe it's shaped by what he went through, but he is one of the most remarkable athletes I've ever been around to cover. And I didn't even really get to cover him because he got hurt as, as soon as I've I've been here. So I think with him coming back, it's not a big conversation at all. It's going to be really around the miracle, but you, you do have to wonder 
how things would have turned out differently had he been the franchise quarterback with last year's offense, because clearly he's better than Case Keenum, and the weapons that he would have had here, plus that leadership and how he impacts everyone around him. If I could steal a phrase from Wetmore, I still think there's a non-zero chance Teddy Bridgewater plays for the Vikings at some point. It just depends (laughs) on the end of Kirk Cousins' contract. You can find Collar and Sage Rosenfels and also a recap episode of Purple Podcast going off of yesterday's Jets-Vikings game and also Vikings Vatline On Demand, all of that on the Purple Podcast feed. We have some breaking news that pertains to the Twins. We'll wrap with Royce and talk about that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic here before we wrap with Royce. 494 westbound, we have a crash uh, in Bloomington. That's between France Avenue and Normandale Boulevard. Uh, that's about an extra nine minutes to your commute if you're westbound on 494. Otherwise, everything else, uh, it's kind of cleaned up a little bit. It's going all right around the metro. Thank you, Manny. All right, let's wrap with Royce here. As we watch Cordero, Patter- Cordero Patterson high-fiving teammates at the 10-yard line on his way to the end zone yesterday. <laughs> yes, he uh, he can still do that when somebody uh, makes the mistake of uh, kicking the ball uh, uh, that's not out a touchback, although yesterday on the East Coast, the wind was howling so bad if you were... Uh, if you were uh, kicking off in the wrong direction, you were you weren't going to get it past the ten yard line. Yeah. So he brings her back. He still hasn't caught many passes for him. I think they've decided Josh Gordon is a better receiver than uh, him. I think so. How about uh, somebody pointed this out though? The uh, Dallas Cowboys with the brilliant Jerry Jones just gave up a number one first rounder for Amani Cooper and uh what did uh what did our guy in uh, New England give up a fifth rounder for Josh Gordon right? yeah yeah that's yeah. absolutely and Amari Cooper yeah. ha- I think I saw a note yesterday Amari Cooper has the highest drop rate in the history of the NFL <laughs> since they started tracking drop rate oh man Jerry well Jerry kind of looks around and sees what the problem is and he never realizes it's Jerry, right? <laughs> and never will, Patrick. Never, he never, never will have to do that. Out. Gee, I had this little wavy-haired guy who uh, made the personnel decisions, and we went to Super Bowls, and then I started making them, and we're still waiting to go back. So. Yep. Hey, Ed, uh, Eduardo Escobar, three-year contract back to the Diamondbacks. <laughs> this just came across like a half hour ago. We don't know the number, do we? About 30, 32. Do something like that. Judd, have you I seen the number? I've not seen the number. No, nope. I haven't seen the number. No. Yeah, that's what I said about him. Is it uh, the the thing about him is I know he got a couple of prospects, but uh, he he was a guy you could have signed. He's still what twenty eight, going to be twenty nine, and he's twenty nine him. You could have signed him reasonable, you know, and it's a foundation player. And everybody said, "Wow, we'll bring it back." No, when when they leave, how many come back? Rick Aguilera in. What is this, 58 years? I think Aggie's the only guy that left as a free agent and then came back, and that's because he wanted to play golf and be a starting pitcher. That's the only reason he came back, and then they let him be a starter for, what, about two months and then put him back in a bullpen. But, so who who is going to get this job, Patrick, the Twins job? I don't know. Doogie's, Doogie's got Baldelli coming in for a second interview. Yes, uh, uh, him and uh, Shelton being a team is not a bad idea. That wouldn't that, that wouldn't shock me. I don't I don't have any idea. They don't the team uh, Falvey and uh, Levine don't have any connection with uh, 
Paul Daly, but uh, he's got a little name power to him, and if he's a sharp, he's an out, you know, he's a kind of a dynamic personality, isn't he? So that might, maybe, I don't know. I, I have no idea. The, uh, but I was, uh, we, we went uh, one recycle yesterday, uh, Brad Osmus, uh, the Angels, uh, yeah. miserable failure in Detroit, so let's bring him in, and then... Uh, uh, David Bell uh, gets the Cincinnati job, so he hasn't been a big league manager yet. So it's what one out of two as far as recycled are concerned. Has any has any job? I mean, football jobs change, but I feel like manager in baseball is a job that has changed so much in the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, it's it's so hard to even quantify yeah. or say and, what and, makes a great and, manager. And what's changed is look at Craig Consul. That wasn't the guy they hired three years ago the way he was managing so the you know he basically the analytics guy said do this and he did it so that's what's changed about the job is you don't call the shots anymore what would Patrick what what would have happened if this whole thing had started when mock was uh, around and if they had come (laughs) to Gene and they said hey Gene we got some ideas on lineup construction for tonight's game and by the way you're also going with an opener they used to uh, try to ask him not to bunt in the bottom of the first inning when the leadoff guy got on base, and he told them to go bleep themselves. <laughs> I, uh, the uh, Calvin and his brothers, they used to go nuts because, uh, you know, Drew or Bostak leads off with a single, and he has Smalley bunt him to second. Ask Smalley about that. I think he had 21 or 22 sacrifice bunts. In uh, 1977, because Mach was a big believer, and if you get the first run, you win the game. So uh, I would say that uh, it wouldn't have been an issue. That uh, that that uh, that way, he would have. If they said you either listen to us or you're gone, he would have been gone in 25 minutes. You know, he got. You know, when he first managed in the big leagues, in with the Phillies in 1960, he was going to manage the Minneapolis Millers again. And uh, was it 60? I think 60. And Eddie Sawyer, the Phillies manager, quit the first day and they hired Mock. He said, This team is terrible. I quit the first day. And Mock came in and, and got the, he got the job like the third or fourth game of the season. They hired Mock away from the Minneapolis Millers. But that's how he got in. He would have lasted as long as Eddie Sawyer did that last that season if they came to him with a lineup suggestion. So, but it's changed, and you know, I mean, you see a guy like Consul uh, changing with it. But uh, I think they probably feel more comfortable telling a guy when they hire him, "This is how it is." Right? I mean, even though Molitor Molitor listened to him. And, you know, Molitor did shift it and did all the stuff they wanted him to do. I think you still probably feel more comfortable if you say, these are the rules. We tell you what you're going to do, and you do it. And then you get along with people in the in the uh, clubhouse, and you make the moves during the course of a game. But uh, the preparation, uh, we run the preparation, basically. Got about a minute left, Pat. Uh, do you like the World Series matchup, sir? I, I I really like the Red Sox, but then again, somebody pointed out that uh, this might be the uh, odds-on uh, one of the uh, most lopsided World Series since we knew the Yankees were going to beat Florida in four or five straight in 2003. So, uh, yeah, you never know. Let me say one thing about our Vikings. Okay. That's the team we've been waiting for. 
isn't it? Yeah, that was, well, that, Judd, that was, Judd's been panicking for three hours today. It's not that true. That was a Super Bowl <laughs> contender. That was a Super Bowl favorite performance, in my opinion. After the first half, that was that was the Vikings that uh, the their fans have been looking for uh, throughout the first half of the season, in my opinion. No more backwards passes by the quarterback. How about that? Well, that's uh, you know, but, you know, he might do that once or twice. He wasn't very good the first half, but he was pretty good the second half. So. See, Pat, unless a quarterback performs perfectly with no <laughs> interceptions throughout the whole season, too bad he wasn't. Our, too bad he wasn't covering when. Fran threw 32. Yeah, yeah, John. <laughs> that would have been fun. Are you coming? I love the cover talking to Pat, the only thing I'll say is just don't tell Tom Brenneman that the, that the wind is not a factor. Then Otherwise, he's going to want to bite your head off. That's what he wanted to do during the whole broadcast yesterday. He was very worried about the wind, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yes. Yeah, he was. Okay, Sam Darnold looked like a rookie, didn't he? Yes, he yeah, did. He did. Yep, last two weeks, guys. rush on him, that happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, Pat, Thanks, we'll talk Royce, to you tomorrow. See you, Pat. See you, Jets. Goodbye. All right, we wrap with Royce every day. Hey, so much Viking stuff on 1500ESPN.com. We have hot Judd takes. We've got Purple Podcast. And uh, if you missed Courtney Cronin earlier, Matthew Collar, Mackie and Judd Show page, 1500ESPN.com.